0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Shuck Memorial Baptist Church in Lewisburg, West Virginia. Our mission is to know Christ and to make Him known by living out God's Word daily. For more information, check out our website at shuckmemorial.com. We're so glad you could join us today. Good morning. This is Pastor JT here at Chuck Memorial Baptist Church, and today we're continuing our study on the book of Philippians. We're in Philippians chapter one, one through two. But before we jump into those early passages in Philippians, uh, we're going to look at some of the challenges that the early church faced. And in fact, there was about six challenges that this early church faced. And if you remember last week we were talking about some of the the characters that made up this early church you had Lydia who was the the lady that was having a kind of a picnic with some of her friends they were worshiping a, a god but was not a god at all and, and so she starts the day not knowing who the real true God is, and, and Paul uh, joins her and her friends on a picnic and evangelizes to them, and by the end of the day, she understood who the living God was and, and wanted to, to accept Him as Lord and Savior, and she's moved, and then she starts using her house as a way for the early church to meet, and so she becomes one of the key uh, players in the early church. And then we had the slave girl who was possessed by a demon, and then she was set free from that bondage, but her owners uh, were not happy about that situation because because they couldn't make money off of her anymore. She had lost the ability to tell the future. And so Paul and Silas were not in good graces uh, with many in the community because of that. And then there was the jeller that was there as well that guarded them. And they miraculously were able to escape. And on their way out, they decided to stop and and lead the jeller to the Lord. And he was so moved that he also wanted them to go to his house and also be able to give the invitation to, to lead his whole family to the Lord. And so these are the kind of people that are involved in the early church. And, and we know that they were also very generous, that they supported Paul throughout his ministry. We hear that in 2 Corinthians 11, 7 through 9. We'll hear it again in, in Philippians 4, 15 through 16. Uh, we also know this too, that that Paul revisited the church probably close to 14 years later in Acts 21 through 6. It talks about that, that time on his third missionary journey. And so one of the things that we kind of see time and time again about the, the book of Philippians is we see just this uh, this passion to evangelize. And we see that Paul is, is training up missionaries to have a passion for the Lord. And, and, you know, it shouldn't really surprise us. That was what Paul did. We, we look what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4-5 he says, do the work of an evangelist. And, and Paul believes that all of us are called to be an evangelist. So we are all able to share the gospel and we're all able to tell people the good news about Jesus Christ. That That's what an evangelist means. It's not intimidating to, to be an evangelist, uh, a bearer here of good news. And so we should all strive to, to do that. And here we we see them doing uh, the work here. Um, You can slowly become so inwardly focused at times that you stop caring about people who are perishing. And so we become so focused on all the day-to-day things that have to get done that we lose the passion to realize that there are lost people that need Jesus Christ, and as the church, we have to respond to that, and we should have a desire and a passion to respond. That's our greatest, uh, that's our greatest need, and it's our greatest desire in our hearts as believers to do the work of an evangelist by by sharing this good news with people who are desperately in need. And so it's our responsibility, it's, it's not somebody else's responsibility, it's ours as believers. If we believe in Jesus Christ, accepted Him as our Lord and Savior, then we have a responsibility to tell others about Him. And so, at times, you know, it's so easy to to start complaining about all um, all sorts of things. <laughs> this, especially in the year of 2020, that was it's now behind us. It's in the rearview mirror. We've moved on to 2021. But it's so easy to complain. We can complain about politics. We can complain about the the pandemic. We can even complain about the the carpet in a church or, or something like that. I mean, we can complain about so many different things um, in our life, and that when we do that, we lose sight of the mission that is before us, because we're so busy complaining about things that we don't like or things we don't agree with uh, that we forget that that we're not called to really complain about things. We're called, one, to rejoice, rejoice always in Christ. But But it's also amazing when you think about it, how how little that we'll complain about things inside the church or or politically or, or pandemic-wise or, or otherwise in so many different areas when we're reaching out to the lost people because then that becomes our mission, that becomes our passion. And so not that all these other things aren't, aren't um, in our lives, but they become secondary because our passion and what becomes first for us is serving the Lord and reaching people for the kingdom of God. You know, evangelism stirs up your passion for Jesus. It produces holiness and and it yields hatred for sin as well. You know, we can't we can't live for Christ if we continue to have sin in our life. So it it has to yield that hatred for sin in our own life. And it's amazing who who will say yes to Jesus when you speak the gospel. I mean, all of us probably have those stories and those moments where where we've been able to to share the gospel message or share a passage of scripture and, and it brings somebody hope. There was somebody uh, this week that approached me and said pastor i have a, I have a family member that that is in in prison and you know, I just I need some some scripture to be able to to share with them during this time that they've seemed to to be interested in in reading the Bible and where would be a good place to start. And so had a lot of good suggestions for that individual and and we worked through some passages to to send that family member. But you know, there's always doors that are open that the Lord opens for us. And so you just got to be ready and be willing to be used and to help people get the word out. And so that's so, so important. and and for family members as well that that we love our family members, even, when they fall into hard times, and remember to share the gospel with them. And so there's always this opportunity. And so let's let's pray for this passion, right? Church, we should be praying for the passion. Let's pray for God to open up our hearts as we do the work and the ministry for the Lord. And also, we should be praying to God to use us, right? To, to help serve our community. There's so many great ways to serve at, at our church here, particularly in Lewisburg. We have our Recovery Life Ministry. They meet on Wednesday. Uh, there's so many different addictions out there. Uh, addictions aren't simply just you know, drugs or alcohol-based, there's pornography, there's eating, there's spending, there's so many different types of addictions, and so we want to help and support um, all who are struggling. There's uh, ministries that we have that maybe you are a good cook, and and we do Gwen's Mills, and we do Tabor Towers, and we send food out to our neighbors here, and and so maybe you can cook, or or maybe you can be a a counselor for somebody and help and just listen to them. Uh, There's so many ways you can help out and serve, and so by doing that, we bring glory to the Lord. And the Church of Philippians, it reminds us that all, you know, ethnic, uh, ethnics and classes of people can be saved, and people in all types of spiritual conditions can be saved. You know, we look at that because there's so many different, uh, different avenues and areas. And remember, most of the people here are Gentiles. And so as he comes to, to evangelize to this area, it was the mini-Rome. That's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. So it was, it was predominantly a Roman place. It looked like Rome. They dressed like Romans. They spoke like Romans. When in Rome, be a Roman. Maybe that's where that expression came from. But, but we get that understanding and that thought process. And, and some are really influenced um, by dialogue, argument, teachings. Uh, others are more moved by deeds of mercy. You know, all, all these thoughts here. And, and some are attracted to Christian example. All of them are saved through responding here to the gospel. And so this is such an important point in our life, do, do, maybe you know somebody that's like a Lydia today, uh, people who have moved in into your community, city, town, uh, business, or, or by vocation, and you have a a lot of them in our cities, right, in our communities, in our towns, that, that don't know who Jesus Christ is, or maybe you know somebody like the the slave girl that was set free uh, when Paul and Silas prayed for her, and and she was relieved of the the demon possession that had taken her her life for hostage. Maybe you know some some girls that are tormented today, those who are dealing with her abuse. Um, there's human sex slavery out there and even demonic powers out there that that, that they just continue um, for people crying out for freedom and help and mercy. And we shouldn't ignore them. No, we should we should be willing to respond, willing to help them in any way that we possibly can. And you know, maybe some blue-collar dudes, perhaps, that God will lead you to minister to them also, like the prison guard, and know that their life can be changed. You know, as a church, we need to find context where we can teach the Bible to outsiders like Lydia. For Paul, that was done by the river. For us, it might be done at the community college. That's, that's next door to our church here in, in Lewisburg. Or maybe Walmart, because that's where everybody gathers. And everybody goes uh, for help in Walmart. You can have a conversation with a complete stranger, and they'll tell you their whole life story, and their problems, and their struggles. And, and what an opportunity is as, as Christians to be there and be like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you. you know? I'm going to share Jesus, and, and I'm going to invite you to church. You know? Hey, that's a great idea. We should all invite people to church. You know, or you know, maybe the local coffee shop downtown. You know, we might start a small group. We have small groups within our churches that that here you can get connected with and, and study the word together. And so there's so many opportunities for you. As a church, we need to witness through our example and how we suffer and how we praise and in how we live. Do people find something attractive about our lives? Let them see a life that says in all of our pleasure. In all of our pleasure, in all of our accomplishments, Jesus is better. In all of our suffering, Christ is enough. You see, that's the kind of attitude that that Paul had, and it was the attitude that the church in Philippi took up as well. And that's the attitude today that we should have as well. In all of our pleasure, you know what? All the great things that I can accomplish and enjoy, Jesus is far better. And even in my suffering and pain, Jesus is far better. And so about 10 years after Paul established the church at Philippi, he wrote this letter to, to his Uh, partners here in the gospel. And and he thanks them for their generosity first off. And before he does that, he makes them aware of his present situation. He explains why he had to send Ephroditus back so soon. He, He appeals to them to unite in the gospel. He warns them of the dangers of false teachings. And in all things, he urges them to persevere with joy in Christ. And, you know, Acts 16, 20, 21, it tells us, it says, And when they had brought them to the magistrate, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disrupting our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept and to practice. And, and this is talking about here, Paul, Silas, Timothy. I mean, they're, they're just changing the landscape here and telling people, you know, it's not Caesar you worship, it's Jesus you worship. It's And there's not many gods, there's one God. And they said, this is Romans, we can't do this. This is everything against our, our grain and our nature. And they're just flipping the world upside down by their message. And, and that's what we do today, at church. That's what we have to do is continue to share this message, flip our world upside down for the kingdom of God. And so Paul writes this letter with a warm, friendly tone. He he loves the church, absolutely loves the church. He calls them his joy and his crown in Philippians 4.1. But they were facing some adversity. They, they were experiencing problems stemming from false teachers, and they were also experiencing some disunity. I know that's hard to believe in a church, uh, that there would be some disunity, but as a result, Paul calls them to persevere, to unite around the gospel, and thereby to retain their joy. And he refers to joy here about 15 times. Uh, that's, that's incredible when you think about just four chapters. Uh, not a huge book, but, but he refers to it here over 15 times. And these dynamics are important. You see, our joy and our unity are found in Christ. If they're found in anything else, it's not going to be lasting. When you, when you get the gospel, you get joy. Think about that. When you get the gospel, you get joy. When you focus on the gospel, you get unity. So maybe if we need unity, we need the gospel. If we need joy, we need to be in the gospel. And maybe some of us today are thinking, man, I've been longing for some joy. I've been longing for some unity in my life. And so maybe you just need to get some of the gospel in your life as well today, this morning. So, But we must persevere in believing the true gospel. We must persevere in cultivating harmony in our relationships around the gospel as well. You know, we aren't told much about the, the disagreeing ladies in Philippians 2, 3. We don't, we don't know everything they were disengaged disagreeing about. It appears that they were very faithful Christians, so I know it's hard to believe faithful Christians disagreeing and arguing, but it does happen. We know that that happens, and the issue doesn't seem to be doctrinal, so it's not going to break the church here on what they're disagreeing about, but you know, disunity often appears over non-essential matters. Think about that. Even the best churches have to work at unity. And so here's some of the six challenges that we're facing here within this church. And it's also what we face today within the modern church as we continue to grow and strive to be more like Christ. So what is this message of Philippians? Well, I've already touched on some some of the messages here, but, but let me just mention these six points, these applications that we find throughout the whole book. First, we have to recognize that gospel advancement will cost us, but Understand, Jesus is worth it. He's so worth it. This letter exalts the person and the work of Jesus. He is the only Savior, the Lord, whom we adore and proclaim to the world. He is the source of joy and unity. He is worth living and dying for, church. He is. You see, Paul speaks of this glorious day of Christ's coming, uh, of being in prison for Christ, of, of honoring Christ, of the humility and, and exaltation of Christ, and of the imputed righteousness of Christ. You see, these are all things that he talks about here in the book of Philippians. And, and second, we've got to fight for joy, for joy in Christ. You see, the psalmist says, serve the Lord with joy. Gladness, Psalm 102, how many of us are actually this day serving the Lord with with gladness or is it when that the pastor comes and says, hey, can I can I get you to serve on this committee or can I get you to help with the church cleanup or can I get you to make a meal? It's like, oh, not him again, right? I've already done enough. Well, we're supposed to do it with gladness in our hearts, right? Uh, with joy in our hearts, that we get the opportunity to serve. That's, that's what this church was saying. They, they were saying, Paul, we, we, we want to serve. We want to do the work of the kingdom and, and, and even more, right? And that's how we should be striving in our own hearts as well. And so, as the psalm says, serve the Lord with gladness, Psalm 102. You see, Paul gives us a picture of what joyful service to Jesus looks like, and he mentions it with some joy-related words about 20 times. So Paul's definitely making a, a point, isn't he? 20 times? Uh, this is a crazy joy because it, it doesn't derive from uh, pleasurable circumstances. Now this is important to, to remember here, church. It doesn't derive from uh, pleasurable circumstances. It comes from Christ and is experienced even or especially in our suffering. In our suffering, we can experience joy because joy is not based on our circumstances. It's based on Christ. See, that doesn't always come natural to us. You know, we must pray for joy and and fight for joy. We must uh, fight against overhauling things in this life. And and remember that Jesus is our greatest treasure. He's our highest good. Beneath all of our sins is a lack of joy in Christ. We live out of the overflow of our hearts, and, and we must find our greatest pleasure in knowing Christ. I must admit that some mornings, maybe that's difficult. You know, I mean, would you agree? Uh, Let me illustrate how joy honors God. Imagine me telling my wife, now this Valentine's Day, and if you forgot that it was Valentine's Day, that's coming up pretty soon, so you may want to get on task, get those flowers ordered here this year, get that chocolate bought, right? But imagine this. I tell my wife on Valentine's Day that I want to take her to a nice restaurant. And to watch maybe The Sound of Music, that's a musical, right? And she might say, "Wow, we've never, you've never watched that movie with me before. That's so sweet. Why do you want to do this?" Now, the wrong answer would be saying, "Well, because I have to. It's Valentine's Day. Everyone else does stuff like this. I guess I just have to do that, right?" Now, that's the wrong answer, isn't it? Now, does that honor her? No, in no way would that honor my wife, right? The right answer is, nothing gives me greater joy than serving you. You see, that would honor her. The other attitude, though, saying, well, I'm doing it because I have to, right? That's not honoring. So, so we don't have to serve Jesus, right? No, we don't have to. We get to serve him. You see, your, your motives and attitude, it matters to Christ. You can dishonor Jesus by not serving him with joy. Such joy flows from our union with Christ, for it is a fruit of the Spirit. Think about that. You need to know Jesus to find joy. And as a Christian, you need to commune with Christ for fresh joy every day. This doesn't mean that you're, you know, that, that, that you never grieve or never have pain. It doesn't mean that you don't experience tragedy. It means that you can still have joy in the midst of those things because you experience Christ. He's with you, even in the hard times, even in the difficult seasons. He's with you. See, it means that there's a profound commitment and satisfaction in Jesus that's authentic and compelling to others. It it means that your grief and and hard times, you can truly say, the joy of the Lord is my strength, as as Nehemiah 8.10 reminds us, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And then there's third here, to to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Paul addresses unity in several letters, including this one. It was important to him, and it must be important to us. Avoid disunity uh, created by arguing over non-essentials and and spreading rumors about others that that aren't even true. Uh, Pursue unity by focusing on the gospel and forgiving and reconciling with others. You see, the church in Philippi was a great church, yet they needed to seek unity. Even the best churches have to defend against gossip, forgive and reconcile. And then, simply on, on the fourth statement here is just you could just become a, a Macedonian giver, right? I mean, Paul Paul uh, thanks the Philippians for their generous, loyal, God honoring support in Second Corinthians eight nine. Paul remarks here that uh, that they are exemplary generous uh, of the church of uh, the Macedonians. He says in Second Corinthians eight. Uh, Verses 1 and 2, he says, During a a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. I I testify, Paul says, that, that on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us intensely for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to saints, and not just as we had hoped. You see, but just continuing to have that attitude that says, I want to serve. I want to serve the Lord in all I do and say. You see, these churches weren't wealthy, though there were some exceptions. But they were sacrificial, generous, cheerful, and loyal. What moved them? Well, they treasured Jesus above all. That was their motivation, it was their fuel in their tank. You see, here in Philippians, Paul says, They gave us an expression of love and as an act of worship. They were loyal to Paul and the mission, and they were devoted to Jesus. And then fifth, let's learn what gospel partnership looks like. You see, uh, we'll take a closer look at this later, but, but... understand that we are called to be fellow co-workers with one another here uh, for the gospel. And so that's so important for us to be unified together to do the ministry, to know you're not alone, to know it's not uh, a burden that you carry by yourself. That's why we were created for fellowship with one another. And sixth here, the the final one, it says, as a church, let's give the world a picture of the coming kingdom of God. See, the six things here that, that the church is working towards. And, and just as people looked at, at Philippi and said, man, this looks like Rome, because it absolutely did. They, they made it basically a miniature Rome. It's like if you go to, to Las Vegas, the, the strip, and you go to, you know, there's different like relics of the Venetian or something like that, and it, or Caesar's palace, and it replicates Rome, right? This is, this is kind of the ideal that they made it to look like Rome. And it says, you know, think about this, as the people looked at Philippi and said, this looks like Rome, one should look at the church and say, this looks like the kingdom of God. You see, we should long to be able to say, you want to know what the kingdom of God is like? Then look at the church. The church in Philippi may not have looked spectacular, but Paul tells them they are an embassy of the kingdom of God, an outpost for the kingdom. In, in the coming kingdom, many of the people will reign with Christ. So the poor should be present and should often be leaders in the church. You see, it shouldn't be a strange thing for a godly hotel maid to mentor a new Christian lady who's a CEO representative. Think about that. You see, in the coming kingdom, there will be no class or color or distinction. Likewise, there should be none in the church. In the coming kingdom, we will eat together with people from east to west, Therefore, the church should reflect kingdom hospitality. In the coming kingdom, righteousness and justice will dwell, so the church should become a community of justice. In the coming kingdom, we will sing praises to the king, and, and so now let the church exalt the Messiah with worship. The church in Philippi was showing Rome what a better kingdom looked like. Let's show our, our city, our community, our town what a better kingdom looks like. And we do this by submitting our lives to the kingship of Jesus, following his word. And when we do that, uh, we find ourselves here at the book of Philippians. See, Philippians 1, 1 1-2 says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, The Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, consider Paul's opening words to the Philippian church in the first two verses. This is a beautiful greeting because it it sounds the theme of grace. You see, all of these things that that we've been talking about are are works of good grace. God's grace and joy and unity, partnership, conversion, new church, generosity, and all these things and so much more. By God's grace, we become Christians, servants of Jesus, and it's by God's grace that, that we live out the Christian life. You see, the phrase of Christ or in Christ and from God are all highlighted Here is God's work in, in uniting us together in Jesus Christ. Notice three evidence of grace in this little greeting. First, grace is displayed in the life of the senders of the letter, Paul and Timothy. Paul had been a Jew who hated Christians, but then he met Jesus, and all that changed. Did he deserve this? Well, no. But he received it. Why? Because of grace. You see, Paul explains his glorious conversion in Philippians 3, 1-11. He explains how he was a, a very religious person, but he couldn't earn righteousness. Righteousness was given to him only by faith in Christ. It was a gift. Consequently, he was transformed. And what about Timothy? Well, his mother was Jewish. His father was a Greek. He became a Christian by God's grace also. He heard the gospel, and he believed because of it. Elsewhere, Paul says that Timothy's faith was sincere. In chapter 2, Paul speaks joyfully of timothy he had been transformed by grace these two men were now slaves for christ there's humility here in that statement they don't go on and on about their titles no they are slaves or servants here of jesus christ so so what about you what's your story are you a christian Do you think Christianity is about being religious? It's not. It's about Christ. It's about trusting that Jesus Christ has lived the life that we couldn't live, then died the death that we should have died. It's about embracing Jesus as your Savior, Lord and treasure. You can do that now. Lydia heard and believed. Timothy heard and believed. Will you today hear and believe? You see, second, grace is displayed in the receivers of the letter, the Philippians. You see, Paul calls them saints. How did they become saints? Was it by performing religious rituals? No, it wasn't. Because of their behavior, they became saints when they changed their positions. Now think about this. They were once in Adam, but through faith in the gospel message, they became in Christ new creatures. Are you in Christ? See, that's the difference from being in, in a, a church building. You may be in, in worship service, but not in Christ. You see, if you're in Christ, then you have every spiritual blessing. If not, then you're still remaining in Adam. You see, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty through 22 says, Christ has indeed been raised, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ, think about that, will be made alive. Adam represents our sinful nature, but Christ represents our redeeming nature found in him alone. And it tells us here in verse 25-26, for, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his foot. Then it says the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Further, some of the Philippian Christians even became overseers and deacons. What about that? Remember how, how the church got started? A, a businesswoman, a slave girl, a jailer, and, and some other um, converts? And now, and now look at them. Some of them are Christian leaders. I mean, isn't that remarkable? You know, I'm sure some of these Philippians were, were exceedingly surprised that they were called overseers and deacons. The mention of these church leaders in a, in a greeting is unusual for Paul. Perhaps he makes a, a distinction among them either because of, of their need for them to assert their leadership in handling the disunity or because of the disagreement was over leadership or maybe therefore lack of it. What's important to note is that Paul mentions these two offices' overseers who shepherd the flock by knowing, feeding, leading, through the word and prayer and deacons who not only serve, but also help others serve as well. And finally, grace is displayed in this Trinitarian blessing. You see, Paul reminds us of the fountain of grace and peace. Where where does grace and peace come from? Well, they come from our trying God. You see, Paul mentions the Father, the Son, the Lord Jesus But we know that such grace and peace comes through the Holy Spirit and his work in our hearts. You see, Peter calls God the the God of all grace, and, and rightly so. When we received grace from the Father, grace from the Son, and grace from the Spirit, consequently we have peace, we have rest, we have blessings. Out of this position and out of the blessings, we are called to live a mission-oriented life of holiness. By grace, we are servants of Jesus God God's saints. Bless his holy name. You see, let's finish with this phrase, the Lord Jesus Christ, Philippians 1-2. You see, in the first century, one could be killed for saying, Jesus, not Caesar, is Lord, yet that's what Christians did. How was it that these ordinary people turned the world upside down? Well, Luke writes that they were saying that there is another king, and it's Jesus. See, Acts 17, 7 captures that. Is Jesus your king? Paul goes on to say that you will either bow the knee to Jesus now or do it later. Maybe perhaps when it's too late. You see, Scripture tells us that we will bow one day before the Lord of all creation. Philippians 2, 5-11, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. You look at that. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he instead he emptied himself, humbled himself. And because of that, one day every tongue will confess that he is Lord, every knee will bow, and God will be exalted. Today, how are we uh, humbling ourselves, emptying else, emptying ourselves out before the Lord? You see, those are the challenges that we have. And and as we continue to move on with Philippians next week, when we start back with Philippians 1, going into verse 3 and 4, we look at that pursuit of joy. The the joy of the church, the joy of praying for believers. How many of us are spending time in prayer today? So much to pray for. So much to to continue to seek the Lord for in in the midst of, of so many things going on in our world and to pray for believers, and to pray for people to come to know Christ through salvation. So I challenge you next week to join us back for our podcast here at the church as as we go through the sermon series on Philippians. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Father, that you continue to guide us and lead us, challenge us, and draw us ever more closer to you. We pray, Father, that we will find unity, Father, in your word, that we will find joy in your word. Father, we will find healing for our communities, Father, by confessing you that, Father, you will strengthen us, guide us, lead us, give us the ability to share the good news with somebody this week, that they may come to know you in a saving sense, Father. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. You have a wonderful day, church, and I'll talk to you next week.